It's always excellent to see you, to spend a little time together, and to worship together. It's always better to be able to be together, I think. And I'm glad to see you this morning, glad to see those who are, you, you who are guests. I'm especially glad to see the people that we know, isn't it? You know, we can say, are you guests? We love to see you. I like seeing the people we know, too. So it's good for us to be here this morning, and I'm glad you are here with me this morning. I want to think about something this morning, again. Let's think about something together. I call the lesson this morning, the dishes are still dirty. Does that look like a familiar picture at your house? I hope not. <laughs> no. <laughs> the dishes are still dirty. What a title for a lesson. But I think maybe you'll get an idea as we go along with this. We're going to look at a passage that's probably familiar to a lot of you from Matthew chapter 25. We're going to pick up in verse 22. Actually, I intended to pick up in verse 24, but somehow I put down 22 and got it all down there. So we're going to go with Matthew 20, 25, beginning in verse 22, in the middle of a story that Jesus is telling. And we'll come back to think about that story in just a few moments. But let's read this part together. When it says, He also, he also who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look. I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So, Take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has more will be given, and he, who, and he will have an abundance, but from him who has more will be, uh, uh, who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that's a powerful story when you think about it. That's the part we don't like to read, isn't it? I really just wanted to sit around the one-talent man, and we'll come back to him in a moment. We call him the one-talent man, and we'll explain that in just a few moments. But I was thinking about this week and in, in kind of introducing this story. There was a hunting trip I took a lot of years ago. Some of my friends and I were teenagers. One of them had uh, came from the Cookson Hills in southeastern Oklahoma. And so we were going down to his home place. He was a little bit older and working in, in the town with us. But we traveled with him. We went down there. We loaded up all our guns and ammo and everything that we could find, and we took off on our trip, a bunch of young guys that didn't know any better, and lucky that all of us came home without blowing off a limb somewhere. I mean a human limb. There might have been a few other limbs blown off. But we took off on this trip, and we, we got there in the evening as we prepared to go hunting the next day, and his mother had supper for us that evening, and so we all sat around her table and had a very good meal with his mother and, 
and took care of the business of eating probably a lot more than we should have and after a long time we finished our meal and a couple of us got up and began to take the dishes into the kitchen and set them down and we were going to wash the dishes thinking that that's what our mothers had told us we ought to do but she said no 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 leave them we'll get to them later leave them we'll get to them later and so the dishes sat in the sink, and we spent the evening talking together. It got late into the evening, and we were going to be getting up very early in the morning. And so um, we decided it was best to go to bed. Went to bed thinking probably somebody would take care of those dishes. She probably would. But when we got up in the morning, you know what? Those dishes were still in the sink. She was already up, and she was making some coffee. And I said, oh, I guess we should have done those dishes. And my friend's mother commented to me. She said, well, it still didn't work. Every time I leave the dishes, I hope that they will be clean in the morning. But so far, they never have been. Now, I know she was joking. I know she was joking. It was just a way of dealing with something that she didn't want to really do the night before, and I guess did a little bit later. She probably thought she should have, or maybe we thought we should have, but none of us took care of the dishes that evening. So the next morning, there were the dishes still sitting in the sink, as dirty and crusty as they were the night before. Pleasant thought, isn't it? Not the best way to start a sermon, is it? But you got that in mind. Now keep that in the back of your mind when we think about this. In the last week, in the last days of the ministry of Jesus, they were busy days, and they were filled with messages, and especially messages of preparation, messages of masters going away and coming back, of being prepared, of getting things done, and knowing what's coming down the road as best you can. It was about getting to the work, about getting it done, and with everyone, there was still a certain amount of criticism, spoken and unspoken, for not really getting to and getting the work done. So we look at the story that we read a part of a little while ago. We look at this story, and it is a story of opportunity and expectations. That's the way I look at it. It's an interesting story, and one that's probably been told a lot of times in church assemblies, Sunday school classes, and so forth. But Jesus tells the story of a wealthy master and three of his entrusted workers or servants. If you've read the story, you already know this. But it's the story of a man who prepares to take an extended journey. And he's going to leave these men in charge of some things. And as it says, he gives each one a certain amount of money. The talent was a measurement of money. You know, we can question exactly what a talent was. Sometimes in the footnotes of our Bibles and other places, you can find amounts given for what a talent would be, and it would depend on whether it was gold or silver or bronze. And really, it doesn't matter that much. But it is a sizable sum of money that's been left with each man. And so he's laying on each of these men a certain amount of responsibility because he wants them to conduct business. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. Maybe it's untold in the story, but they know there are things they're supposed to do while he is out of town. And so he goes. He goes and spends some vacation time in the Maldives. I don't know where he went. Jesus doesn't tell us. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was traveling on business. Maybe he just wanted to get away for a while. Anyway, he went on his journey, and when he came back, he called his servants to account. The first two 
had doubled their amounts. The one had been given five, he had doubled it into ten. The one had been given two, he had been, he'd doubled it as well. But then there is that third man. The third man hadn't been given as much, wasn't responsible for as much, but he was still entrusted. And at the end of the first two's accounting, the first two men's accounting, there was praise for each of them. But for the third, when he gave his response, I knew you were a hard man. I knew what kind of businessman you were. I knew how shrewd you were, how capable you were. I knew what your expectations were, and I knew that you were expecting that of me, but I didn't do it. I was fearful. Now I held on to what you gave me. I didn't lose it. I hid it away. I protected it, and I kept it. And now that you're back, I brought it back to you. I don't know whether he was in the story. The idea would be that he would be receiving some sort of praise for at least not losing what was given to him, but it wasn't. Ultimately, unpleasant ostracism, punishment await that third man. And even what he had had been given, was then given to somebody else. This morning, I want us to focus on that man. I want us to focus on the man with the one talent. And there's a reason why. And I'll get to that in a moment. But notice, of the man who was given one talent, he did receive. He did receive it. He knew what he had. He knew what to do with it. He knew there were expectations. He knew about this. He knew what the others had, perhaps, but he knew what he had, and he knew what was expected of him. And secondly... Secondly, he didn't use what was given to him. Yes, he knew what was expected. And yes, he knew what it was. But he did not use what was, ex what was given to him. And he justified it. He justified not using it by blaming the one who had given it to him. He was blaming the master who put it in his care for his lack of responsibility. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But that's what he did. And you'll note that the response of the master, the response of the master was clear and it was hard. We might feel sorry for the man, and we can. And maybe we feel a little bit of pity for him. Maybe we think we would have said, okay, I'll give you a second chance. But that's not the story. And Jesus tells the story as he tells it, and he tells it with reality, and he tells it with understanding. And the message of the master and the response of the master was very clear and understandable, and it was very hard. Because this is a story about opportunities and expectations. It's about the opportunities that were given to these three men. It's about the opportunity that was given to this one man. And it is about the expectations of the one who has given it and the expectations that they should place on themselves. And we can note readily with it that greater blessings have greater expectations. It's biblical from the beginning. Notice the wording early in the story. Each according to his ability. It's not arbitrary. The master wasn't being overly hard. He said, you can handle this amount. You can handle this amount, and you can handle this amount. 
He was very careful about the way he did it, and it seemed like he was right in the way he did it. We find that same kind of teaching about our benevolence, about our giving, about our caring. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, as one has prospered. That's about ability and what's come your way, what's going on in your life. So greater blessings have greater expectations with understanding of where we are and what we do. Remember the widow that Mark tells about in Mark chapter 12? We studied in our class a week or so ago. Some of you have slept since then, I understand, but we talked about that widow and how Jesus praised her for her offering and her giving because she gave in such an abundant way. Paul praised the Macedonians, remember, for they gave above and beyond what you would expect their ability to be. For he said, for they first gave themselves. Greater blessings have greater expectations. They were not measured against one another. The expectations weren't the same for each in the sense that we expect you to to fulfill this to this certain level. They weren't measured against one another as this one being greater or lesser than the other. They weren't measured against one another in that way. But they couldn't help but note that the others did what was expected. And in that way, you are measured. They were not measured against one another, just against expectations. And it brought to mind the thought in this. As Jesus tells the story here, and we see what happens to the third man, we're reminded that wasted blessings are unforgiving. So if, you, if we can for the next few moments, if we can for the next few moments, let's put on the shoes. Let's put on the shoes of the man holding the one talent. You might wonder, why in the world should we put on the shoes of the man holding one talent? I'd rather be the five-talent man, wouldn't you? I'd rather be the man with two talents. I'd like to be the person to say, well, I've got many things to offer. I've got abundant things to offer. I've got great abilities and so forth. And we look at ourselves and we think, I've got much. I think sometimes humbly, maybe sometimes with a certain amount of false humility, we might say, well, I'm I'm just a one-talent person. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter whether we're looking at the one, two, or the five-talent holder in this case. We center on the one-talent man because of the response that the master brings back to him. We center on him because we can look at his story and we can draw some tremendous lessons. The others, you can say, yes, they did what they were expected, and there was a reward because of it. Let's look at the one who struggled. Let's look at that one man. Let's look at the expectations there. That's what the story is about. It's not about balancing against one another or measuring ourselves and saying, I'm a one-talent or I'm a five-talent person. I'm actually a ten. That has a different connotation, doesn't it? Okay, stop there, move on. But it is about expectations and opportunities. That's what this story is really about trying to teach us. That's what this story is trying to get across. So put on the shoes of the man holding the one talent, and we learn some certain lessons within this, as we already see. One of the great lessons is forget what the others have. You remember what Jesus told Simon Peter after the resurrection, after that feast or that meal at the lakeside, and when he tells Simon Peter, you know, follow me, and ultimately you're going to die in following me, And Simon Peter turns and looks at John, and he says, what about him? In our own vernacular, Jesus said, forget about him. Think about you. 
This is where it's important to think about you. Forget what others had. It doesn't matter what somebody else has. It doesn't matter what somebody else is able to do. It doesn't matter the works that someone else is doing. It doesn't matter the acclaim that somebody else is getting. It doesn't matter the reward that somebody else is having brought their way. It matters what you have and what you have in your responsibility and making the expectations of that. I think we spend far too much time measuring who is and who is not. We spend too much time segregating in that way. As we talked a little bit in our class this morning, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks to, or writes to those people in Corinth about them dividing over who has what gift and who has this gift, who has that gift. And he says, well, what good is a hand without a foot? What good is an eye without an ear? You know, that kind of thing. No matter what you've got, Forget what the others have for a moment and remember what you are supposed to be. So number one is forget what others have. If he had just set it aside, if he had just set aside all of that and just done what was expected of him. Secondly, remember it is a trust. What's in your opportunity is a trust to you. Sometimes we look at it as a challenge. Sometimes we look at it as a burden. Sometimes we look at it as, <laughs> well, you can look at it any way you want to. But you need to look at it as a trust. It's something that's been put in your care. I've said before so many times, to make it very personal, I never thought that much I did think about family. I don't want you to understand. I never thought about how important it was to have a child in the family until we took one home. And suddenly I realized, I've got this child for a lifetime. Yes, I know he'll grow up. Yes, I know he'll be on his own responsibility. But I've got this child for a lifetime. That's a real trust. And there's a lot in the scriptures about fathers and their behaviors and so forth as well. Whatever is brought into your life, whatever opportunities are yours, you need to consider the many gifts that are in your life. You need to consider the opportunities that are around you. You need to consider the people that are around you, the family, the occupation, the personal opportunities of people that are, are around you. Don't sit and look at what somebody else has got. Look at what you've got and the value of the gift is only known when it's used, when it's applied and when it is served fully. It is a trust that you hold from the one who has given you the opportunity to have it and the expectation of you using it. Also remember, you will not pass this way again. I was talking to a young man the other day. We had been over at the Y together, and he came over and was talking to me. I didn't know the young man. And he came over and talked to me. We'd been, I'd been out working out, and I'd gotten cleaned up, and we're getting ready to leave the Y, and he came over, and he was talking to me a little bit. Seemed like a friendly young man. And in a little bit, he, he got to talking about age, and I thought, this is not going in a direction I want it to go. He wanted to know how old I was, and I told him that I was over 30. No, I told him my age. And I said, he got to asking some things, and I said, yeah, you can't, do everything you could do when you were 20 years old. And you know what he asked me? He said, do you miss it? Do you miss it? I said, yeah, in a way, I do. But you know what? Age and time give you some things that youth and vitality don't have. I think that's interesting. 
But we do recognize we will not pass this way again. Time does not reverse itself. The vaporous nature of life should spur us to do something with where we are and what we have. We don't get a mulligan in life. You can regret the father that you weren't or the husband that you weren't. Or whatever your situation may be. You could say brother, sister, mother, whatever. You can, you can regret what you weren't in life. But that should just remind us that you can only be that spiritual person. You can only be that spiritual father while your family is with you and near to you. You can only be that person in that opportunity when that opportunity is there. You will not pass this way again. That man had a chance, and he wasted it. And we need to remember that no one else can take our responsibilities for us. Defensive blaming can be common. Well, it's really not my fault. It's somebody else, and somebody should have done that. I've told you about the, the really sweet lady, the Drexel congregation, that would call me up from time to time, and she always had an idea, and she'd say, somebody needs to do this. And I'd say, well, I'm kind of busy. She said, I wasn't talking about you, but somebody. And I said, are you somebody? She said, oh, I can't do it. But isn't that the way it is? Friends, no one can take your responsibilities for you. Nobody can do your job for you. Nobody can be the person you need to be. Defensive blaming is really common, but it doesn't change what you did or you didn't do. Adam tried to say, it's that woman's fault. She gave me the food to eat. You know what? God didn't even have to say it, did he? But you ate it, didn't you? They'd like to blame God, but it was their own fault. No one can take your responsibility for you. You have a responsibility to be who and what you are and where you are. Let me give you a couple more. As we learn from him that you are where you are to decide what to do. Now that's kind of convoluted in a way as you say it. I think too often we may suffer from the Scarlett O'Hara syndrome. You remember the line? I'll think about that tomorrow. I think we suffer from the Scarlett O'Hara syndrome sometimes. Say, well, man, I, you know, I don't know. I've got to think about that a little while. I gotta, maybe I can deal with that tomorrow. And there are times to pause and think, to count to ten, and all those, those things. Yes, I understand. But we need to remember that now is the time. Now is the time to prepare. Now is the time to do. Now is the time to get it on our hearts. Now is the time to get it on our minds. We're reminded that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We're reminded that the things we need to do, we need to do now. That's what Paul tried to get across to the church in Corinth in chapter 6. You need to do it now. You are where you are to decide what to do, so determine what you're going to do. Joshua called the Israelites there. Yeah, they had been out there 40 years coming to this point. And all the preparations that came after that and the conquest, and when he pulled them together, he says, now you better decide today whom you're going to serve. Make your choice. You are where you are to decide what to do. I think the big decision in life that I've shared with you before is you've got to better decide who you're going to be. And when you decide who you're going to be, then that helps decide what you're going to do and just get busy doing it. Let me give you just the last one. There is an accounting. It doesn't just slide away. It's not just forgotten. 
there is an accounting. And let me add to the idea that there is an accounting. It is individual. Several places in the scriptures that are brought out, Romans 14 and verse 12, Paul tries to get across, you know, we're responsible for ourselves. And we are called into account, he says. The things we did, the things we didn't do, the choices we made. We're even reminded that every idle word has its reward. There is an accounting. We stand before that. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, appointed unto one man wants to die, and then the judgment. That's the accounting. When you recognize what you've done, I think sometimes we're called into account on a regular basis and we recognize the things that we have done or haven't done and how they come back home to us and they affect us in our lives. But there it is. Forget what others have. Remember it's a trust you hold. Know that you won't pass this way again. Remember that no one else can take responsibility for you and you are where you are to decide what to do and know that there is an accounting of what you have or haven't done. Think about the Lord's question to Cain. Think about the Lord's question to Cain about doing. For he said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Genesis 4, verse 7. Starts us off. If you do well, won't you be accepted? I wish the man with the one talent could have known that. He should have. And I came across the quote this week. I get these these quotes that come across every day. And one of them that came across this week was attributed to Amelia Earhart. I'm not going to ask her whether she really said it or not. But I like the quote, the most effective way to do it is to do it. Isn't that the truth? You see, Nike wasn't the first to come up with just do it. That's the lesson that Jesus was getting across. It is about opportunity and expectation. There are several lessons that we can learn from this man who was entrusted with the smallest amount. It is the one that is noted in the actions of my friend's mother that I bring to you today and brings us back to the story I told you in the beginning. You and I need to remember the dishes don't wash themselves. It's up to you, so you decide. You take advantage of your opportunity. You fulfill the expectations of the gift that's been given to you. Or you just let it go and see what happens. I'd learn from the man with the one talent if I were you. And hopefully I will too. We're going to sing a song of encouragement, an invitation this morning. If there's someone who has considered the need to respond, let us assist you. Let us encourage you. Let us offer Christ's invitation to you. Salvation awaits you in Christ. There is no other place, Acts 4 and verse 12, that we find salvation. No other name under heaven. It's only through him. Peter had told the people, repent, let everyone of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 of those people that heard him that day, 3,000 of those people said, I need to respond to that. And 3,000 people started their journey again and anew. What about you? If there's someone who needs to respond this morning for that need or another, let us assist you and help you at this very hour. We're glad to do so while we stand and sing the song together.